Revolution. I can't get no call to action, but I try and I try and I try. Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Marcus John Henry Brown. Like a Rolls-Royce, Marcus was born in England but made in Germany, as he is now based in Munich as a performance artist. He specialises in creating what he calls performance hacks, a keynote format that disrupts conference proceedings, delighting and shocking audiences across the world. His time is split between mentoring young creatives, solving problems for brands, businesses and consultancies, creating performance art that hacks business contexts, and using what he's learned to train people in the dark art of what he calls speakery. Marcus says, turning up your personality to 11 doesn't mean you have to become a parody of a used car salesman it just means that you tap into who you can really be on stage or on camera and adjust to context, subject matter or platform and shine. Welcome to the show, Marcus. Good evening, good afternoon and a very warm welcome to you wherever you may be. Hello, Giles. Thank you for having me. Right. Seven quick fire questions, Marcus. Beer or wine? Both. England or Germany? Germany. Stage or screen? Stage. Stick or twist? Ah, blackjack. That's it. What are the cards? <laughs> you've got, right, you've got a 10 and a, and a 6. Uh, always, always twist. Nice. Uh, the Twilight <laughs> Zone or the Phantom Zone? Uh, the Phantom Zone. Two more. Walking or talking? Talking. And finally, a Batman one, Michael Keaton or Ben Affleck? Christian Bell. <laughs> I, took it, I took him out. I took him out and replaced him with Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck is just awful. <laughs> I was expecting Keaton. It was that one. I was no, going to stick no, Adam no, West no. in, but I know you're a fan. No, um, I think Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton's, it's interesting because Michael Keaton really does truly believe that he is the best Batman. Yeah. He's absolutely convinced. <laughs> um, the first Batman... But then doesn't Christian Bale? Do you know, I think Christian doesn't care. Because he's moved on, he's done other things. He's, he's, he's lost <laughs> between... <laughs> since the last Batman movie, he's lost and put on something like a thousand kilos <laughs> for, for different roles. So for, for him, it, it really doesn't matter. The the Batman series is uh, the the Michael Keaton Batman films are really actually quite important to me because um, it was an introduction to understanding and dissecting film and stories. Uh, I'd watched the first Batman in the Barn Cinema at Dartington College of Arts where I studied, which is up on a hill, and it really was a barn. So. 
there were bats flying around while watching Batman, which is just, it was, it's absolutely shocking. Fantastic, fantastic um, cinema. It's still there. Uh, you can still go and watch films in the Balm, uh, in the Balm Theatre. And I came out and our theatre studies or, 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 or media studies lecturer said, what do you think of the film? I said, it was rubbish. And then the next day we had him and we had our media studies and he said, right, Marcus, so now you have to tell us why it was rubbish. And it was a real lesson for me. It was like that to actually having to sit down and talk about why I thought something was rubbish and not rubbish. And it was quite difficult for me back then because um, I was a horrible young man who <laughs> was so in awe of myself and my, <laughs> and, and my genius and my creativity to have somebody with a beard and a mullet ask, <laughs> literally take me apart uh, in front of the entire class was quite soul destroying, but very important. It sounds quite immersive with the bats hanging around. The favorite, the favorite example I've had of one of those um, outdoor cinema experiences is, is, a, is, a, is a girl who used to work at Gasp. And she was telling me that when she was at uni, they had an outdoor cinema in their local harbour and they had then they would scream jaws at night and everyone in the audience had their own rubber ring to float on in the harbour whilst watching it <laughs> i watched um i watched some incredible films in uh the doors the film about the doors uh watched in that cinema during the summer break because I had to pay off my student debts to the college. <laughs> so I ended up painting tables <laughs> and and painting furniture <laughs> in the halls of residence. And there are still tables and there are still there are still drawers um, that you can't open because we painted them shut by accident. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, watching the doors in the in the farmhouse with a bunch of other students that were absolutely blasted out of their out of their brains on acid i never took i was never a great drug taker i, I was terrified of things like um acid and lsd and that kind of stuff because there's so much going on in my head anyway that um that i always tended to avoid that stuff and dope just made me fall asleep so i was slightly pissed up on jack daniels and coke <laughs> Uh, but they will have their heads on acid in this barn theatre, watching the doors, riding the snake with bats flying in and out of the place. It was fantastic. <laughs> wow, that wins. That wins hands down. Amazing. Marcus, thank you for joining us so Pleasure. much. I, I really appreciate it. Thank um, you. And to, to kick off, we really like to celebrate the linear and more often not so linear paths that guests have taken to get to where they are. At some point, your journey involves a move to Deutschland. So can you tell us what was your first ever job? And then what was your first proper marketing slash performance related job? I uh, moved to Germany proper in 1993, um, having finished my degree at Dartington. And my first job was in a, I don't think we had them back then in the UK. They call them copy shops in, in, in Germany. It's just a big room full of photocopying machines where students um, photocopy their books. 
and I worked in the industrial section of one of those things, photocopying user manuals for Lufthansa Boeing machines. The reason I got ended up getting that job was I, in the summer before, I had a summer job cutting out photocop colored photocopy illustrations from children's mag children's books and pasting them into mock-up books that would then go to test uh test groups and um i would end up having to photocopy them in this copy shop uh and it was a great play i learned so much there um they paid for my german course which is why when i speak german i have a slight frankfurt dialect because I learned German in uh, in Frankfurt, and uh, I, I, the, the, they gave me my first computer, uh, so I could start doing digital printing for them. So I had a uh, Pentium two, I think it was, and I started learning how to program websites because my old boss said, "Hey, there's this thing called the internet. It's like um, it's like the yellow pages, but with but it's black and white." Uh, and I became fascinated with the with with that, and that's how I kind of that's how it all started for me. So I was standing in a in a in a large room with you know colleagues from Peru, from Poland, um, obviously from Frankfurt, but uh, it was it was a, a big mix of of uh, people and this really charismatic young bloke called Frank, who um, a mate of his has said, uh, why don't you just kind of invest in this company? You're a, you're a trained electrician and you can fiddle around with these photocopying machines if they break down. And he set up this business and, uh, that, and I ended up working there, learning how to program, learning how to design websites. Photoshop was, um, I can remember Photoshop when it was something like 20 disks that you had to install. <laughs> And, uh, and, and that's where I, I kind of, and I, and whilst doing that, I was carrying on with, with the artwork that I was doing, which at the time was heavily influenced. Was, there was a lot of photocopy artwork, uh, digital stuff. And, um, in, I think it was by the time 1996, I left the photocopy shop, learned how to speak German was, a freelance graphic designer artist, uh, but earned most of my money by doing PowerPoint presentations for uh, consultancies. So that's how I funded. And it was kind of like, a, it was a model that I picked up from a friend of mine, uh, an actor called Tim Plester, who played Blackwater Frey in Game of Thrones um, and was doing lots and lots of TV ads at the time. And, and he financed all of his filmmaking by doing, um, just kind of actor jobs for TV ads. And I thought that was a really interesting way of just, cause I've never ever gone to a state thing to get my work funded. I've always done commercial work and used the money and reinvested it into putting on either exhibitions or uh, performances um and that's how around 96 97 i uh, ended up into in advertising because of a website that i built for a exhibition in frankfurt and uh, then i landed 
the Amirati Purus Lintas. Amazing. And then, it, so at some stage, the, um, the the PowerPoint presentation type focus in your art, which was obviously a key part of, of, of who you are, began to merge more and more then. Is that is that what happened? There was, there's a, a, a moment where I made a conscious decision to stop being an artist. And my youngest daughter would oftentimes ask me, um, Hey, Dad, didn't you used to be an artist? Right. Which is a which is a really interesting question to to ask somebody. So and there was a a time where I said I'm going to stop it because um, I need to concentrate on earning money. I need to you know sort myself out. And that decision was a bad decision, um, and it led to all sorts of trouble. Um, I ended up working in jobs that made me desperately unhappy, uh, wearing a suit flogging print, um, being a business process outsourcer. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just, it's, it's not for me at all. The, the, the darkest point in my life was when I was a controller in a printing company, but it was also the, the happiest point or one of the happiest points in my life, because while I was doing that, I rediscovered the internet, started creating digital characters and I met an awful lot of friends that I, online friends, which I now consider to be very dear friends, people like Will Humphreys, Graham Douglas, Ben Terra, um, the, the whole uh, Farris, the, the, the whole blogosphere from, you know, 2007. The decision to come back and say, hey, hang on, Marcus, the thing that made you the most happiest was, was the job of being an artist. And... I was standing on the stage in 2013 at the Republica trying to be a keynote speaker and realizing I'm not very good at being a keynote speaker, but I'm really, really good at telling stories. And this is an opportunity. Look at this. I've got a stage. I've got a paying audience. Um, there's all this tech. There's this big screen. I can do something with this. This is real. I can hack this. And there were, you know, and and then I went away and there was a period of trying to work out what it was going to be, how it would work, building a whole kind of story universe, um, lots of mistakes made. But at the center of all of those things is, is, was the idea of a, a, a man, because it's me, because I've got a willy, a man standing on a, standing on the <laughs> stage in front of a big screen with a clicker, clicking through slides. And trying to work out, well, okay, how can I make that the most exciting, dangerous thing that people have ever seen at a, at a business conference? So, and, and that was the journey that I went on. And which is why the, the whole PowerPoint thing, you know, going back to those slides that I was making for the business consultancy back in 1994, 95 with people I detested. I mean, I really, really hated these people. The, the woman I was working for, I adored. She was wonderful, a woman called Melanie. Um, and it was her business that I was working for, but her clients were just the, just the most appalling people that you can imagine. Suit-wearing uh, guys just out of an economics degree, um, 
writing PowerPoint presentations that would have, you know, 30,000 people laid off work. But the skills that I learned in that in that room, in that smoky room in Melanie's business were, were a, a absolute gold. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's, where, that's where I was kind of, I suppose I was trying to articulate that with my point about taking the PowerPoint side and the art side and, and, and merging or combining them. So it almost sounds like you found yourself in a situation where you had all these lovely component parts and you had the screen, you had the audience, you had the tech, you had your clicker. And you, and you kind of use that as your brief or, or I don't want to put words in your mouth of like, well, how can I bring me to this, to this performance? Yeah. It's a, again, it's a, it's a journey. You kind of know there's something here. I think that's, there are, there are very clear differences between marketing, advertising and art. And it's, and, and that is good that it is like that, but there are, um, there are, uh, uh, things which are very similar you know that you're onto something, but you can't quite figure out what it is. There's actually a video of me doing doing the talk on the Republica in 2013, and um, you can actually see me it going through my head that I'm really not enjoying this, but there is something here. So while I'm actually speaking the words, um, I'm I'm deconstructing the situation and trying to figure out what what I can do with it. It's re- it's really odd to watch. Yeah, the moment where it clicked, I was sat in the audience of a massive trade show for ad tech and marketing in cologne a thing called the demexco there was it was it's the biggest stage you can imagine the audience there was like two thousand people in the audience light shows dancers lasers um huge screen all this kind of stuff and and it just suddenly occurred to me if i can put something like blade runner on this stage, it would completely blow their minds. Yeah. <laughs> but Blade Runner with PowerPoint, how do I do that? So, and that was kind of the, that was, <laughs> that was, that was, um, that was really the moment. So there are, there are kind of moments of, uh, there are key moments on this journey that I've been on since, um, really since 2014, after I decided, okay, I'm going to turn my back on, working in advertising and 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 being a creative director and all of those things um because it wasn't making me happy i was getting cross with 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 everybody um because because it was so it seems so pointless there are there are only so many times i can hear i think this is one of the things that 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 you end up struggling with when you get a bit older in 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 your industry <laughs> because I've stepped out of it now is that you've just, you end up hearing the ideas over and over again, because there are only so many ideas. And then the older you get is kind of, you, you get quicker to the point of saying, no, we've done that before. We have to find something else. Um, and you end up getting, losing your temper with younger colleagues and that's not fair on them because they're on this journey and they have to, you know, figure it out for themselves. So since as I told, 2014, I, I, I started out and said, okay, I'm going to do this thing. Um, it took a while to find the format, to find the moment. The moment happened September 2017 in Bournemouth at Silicon Beach when I performed Passing for the first time. Um, and that because that was a that was the thing that really that was the performance that that worked it was the fight it was the one that really really worked and and um 
I can remember printing it off and holding the script in my hand and thinking, bloody hell, this is the one. Yeah. So um, since 2017, I've, I've been feeling very, very comfortable around calling myself a performance artist again and, um, and doing these things. Yeah, that's good. That's great. I mean, for our audience who may not be as familiar with your work, can you explain what a performance artist who hacks conferences actually does? I mean, that you mentioned there, Blade Runner plus PowerPoint. Is that a simple kind of equation that gives us a little idea? Yeah, well, I think people, the idea of a performance artist is, it's, it, I like one of the character. I'm working on a character at the moment called Joseph Blasphemous, which is based, who is based on um, uh, Joseph Boyce. Uh, Joseph Boyce is a, somebody who w- w- looked at kind of social art, uh, um, art as artists as part of a community, which is something that I've always been very, very interested in. Um, but I've all, I've, I'm also very, very interested in the silly. So uh, Gilbert and George have been a have always been a, a super influence on 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 everything I've done. I'm not sure if they'd be too happy to hear that. I think that they're si- I don't think that they're silly, but I, I love that there's a certain element of silliness, particularly the, the dancing sculptures when and singing underneath the arches and stuff. I just love the fragility and the silliness of of, of that. So you have that kind of element of playing around with you know, space, the body, the stage, the gallery. Uh, I've never really been interested in galleries and, and uh, theatres per se. The conference stage gives me... Okay, let's go back to the hacking. So the hacking thing is people, the audience pay lots and lots and paid, because this is we're now in the middle of a pandemic, paid lots and lots of money to go and hear about ad tech, for example. And I've spoken at loads and loads of things. So it's either they've paid money to speak about, uh, to hear about ad tech or strategy or business and transformation and all of this kind of stuff. And before me, somebody will come on and tell them how, I don't know, Google AdWords work. And after me, somebody will come on and talk about gamification. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> Sounds lovely, doesn't it? It just sounds so good. <laughs> but in between that comes Marcus John Henry Brown with the passing and basically de- deconstructs the entire fallacy of influencer marketing and then dies at the end of the performance <laughs> on stage in front of their eyes and then takes a bell and says, thank you very much, just leaves. And then the, then, and then the guy comes on afterwards and says, out, yeah. <laughs> okay, and this is how ad words work. <laughs> so the it's it's a it's a really odd kind of juxtaposition of it looks like a presentation it looks like a keynote sounds like a keynote it's got all of the components that really should be a keynote bloke on a stage with a clicker wearing a suit in front of slides but and and i can i can, i'm the only one who really gets to see the entire performance because i get to see the audience and they go through three phases of, um, and, and it's difficult to, to kind of exp- actually explain what what this is, just in audio because it's a it's a facial experience that they go through. <laughs> sure, it's yeah. like they look at they kind of look to the left and look to the right, and it's like, isn't what's going is this, on here? Is this actually, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is this? I thought I thought this was about influencer. What is it? 
What's he talking about? And then they'll go, oh, oh, I see. And you can see them rustling through like the program and trying to like, what is this? Oh, this is, oh, he's an artist. Okay. Okay. What's it called? The passing. Oh, that's really weird. What's he doing now? Okay. And then they'll, and then they say, okay, this is art. And then I'll have like a two minute moment when they say, okay, this is art. And they'll settle and then they'll watch. And then the third phase is, oh, Jesus, Lord, he's really going to do this. <laughs> Which phase do you enjoy the most? It's, I, I love them all. I think the, the, the Jesus, Lord, he's really going to do this is the fun <laughs> bit. <laughs> Although the, the, the last big performance I did was called Flex. And that, oh, Jesus, Lord, he's really going to do this was right from the beginning because it's so obvious that this is a performance. This has got nothing to do with hacking anything. This is me going on stage as a character called uh, Tyler X. Um, I'm made up. My complete my my f face is completely white except for a black X across the the uh, the left side of my face. I'm completely in black. I'm wearing black latex gloves, and I'm screaming at the audience, singing songs. It's like being thrown into a Frankie Goes to Hollywood video. The whole thing is just nuts. So it's like really, really obvious that this is not your at your standard keynote. But when I do uh, the other things, the, the 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 last phase is really fun to watch, and and the so, you know it can go both ways. I've I've had standing ovations, and I've had kind of polite applause. <laughs> oh dear, dear, oh dear. And and is there any consistencies as to when you get when you get uh, one or the other? Is it is it like an audience? demographic type thing is it different in the uk to say a german audience or, or how, oh god how yeah. yeah 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 very much so i did a thing at the second part of the passing trilogy i premiered at the drum a drum event in 2018 i think that was really difficult for the guy moderating because they'd not seen it it was a premiere so they'd not been able they'd seen the passing and knew the, what was could possibly happen but the sensorium section is super dark because it's it's like the it's it's the Empire Strikes Back of the passing trilogy. So it really does leave this kind of like tell us how it ends. Because that's really, really dark, Marcus. So the guy who was um moderating that event was like, I don't know what to say. Thank you for coming to this drum event and I'll see you next time. It was literally like that. And after, after the, uh, in the UK, it tends to be, no, in Germany, people will come up and, 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 and want to talk to me and, and dissect what's happening and, or what, what I did or shout at me in the UK. I'll stand at the table drinking a glass of wine and they'll wait for the first person to come over and, and ask me a question and that can take at least 20 to 25, 20, 30 minutes. But once that's happened, <laughs> get well, yeah, get mobbed. Yeah. Because it's like they're waiting for somebody to, can we talk to him? Can we ask him about? It's like pushing a penguin off the ice. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird. So the audiences are different. Uh, the the events, it depends on the event. I've spoke, I've I've done a thing. I always do this. Uh, I have, I, I don't have like a proper questionnaire. Obviously I have my terms and conditions, but I don't have a questionnaire, 
But I always do this thing when I turn up at the event, I'm always get introduced to the CEO or the, you know, the owner, the founder or whatever. And they come over and it's like, hi, Marcus, it's great to have you here. It's like, Thank you for having me. Um, have you watched what I've done? No, I didn't have a time. I wanted to save it up and, and be surprised. And that's the moment where I think, because <laughs> I always tell the, I always, I don't, shit, because I always tell the event team, please make sure that everybody who has anything to say sees it beforehand. And it's always so much fun when they don't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, that's a very long answer to a very simple question. That's what a business hack is. How does that then translate to screen? I asked you stage or screen earlier, obviously deliberately and, and with one kind of nod to the pandemic, which you also referenced slightly earlier. How, how, has, that, how has that affected you in the last, um, last 12 months and counting because I know I know ultimately it's been a it's been a good year for you I think you've um you've said albeit there was a cancellation tsunami at the, at the beginning yeah very much so yeah the fact that it's been very very democratic that this thing has hit everybody has been a major consolation for me so I, d- I didn't feel victimized it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you're an artist or I mean obviously performing artists musicians actors uh, caterers, restaurateurs, event photographers, videographers, etc. They they're really you know we're all in the same boat. I have I, I I'm not sure I I worked my way out of it by watching actually isolated talks really was the kick up the bum that I needed because I was watching some of, I'm not going to say who it was but he's a very very dear friend of mine. I watched his isolated talk and I thought mate that's rubbish. <laughs> And you can do better than that. And I can do, and I'm going to show you how to do it better. And that's when I started doing the tiny talk videos um, about how to do better virtual uh, presentations and performances and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So isolated talks was, was a, a played a major role in the most overused word in the last 12 months is pivot. But I didn't, and I didn't really pivot because speaker training and thinking about how to do better performances and standing on stage. I've been doing, I've been doing this kind of stuff for years, for three or four years. I wrote my first hybrid uh, virtual format with a live audience about four years ago for a client, um, well before a pan- pandemic. So I was kind of set up intellectually to do this kind of stuff so uh but the the pandemic forced my hand i have really really struggled to find ways of doing the same kind of work uh for the screen that has an awful lot to do with the fact that i feed off of the energy from an audience and an event uh the 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 hacking of you know, performing the passing an event for uh, estate agents, which I've done, you know, that is an energy and that's fun. And that's something that you can, and I can see the three stages of the audience and I feed off of that. So each performance has a different flavor, a different touch. No, I've performed the the passing now. The passing has been seen by something like 40,000 people. Uh, But each time I've done it, it's been it's slightly different. 
the screen stuff is really weird because I don't you don't get to really see the audience, and that's something that I've uh, I've been struggling to come to terms with. I think I've found a way of doing it again that has something to do with isolated talks because I I really wanted to to do something for uh for you guys uh, but couldn't figure out a way to do it until I did. I've also found another way of doing a wicked pack of cards which is the performance with uh Joseph Blasphemous which I which is something that I'm currently working on now. The but but it's the speaker training, the figuring out how to do better virtual performances, better virtual uh, presentations, and 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 just basically creating a, a a completely new format, which I'm I used to call tiny talks, but now I call the speakery format, which is basically a mix of a, a classic stand up TED global conference mixed up with a Casey Neistat video. So that's, so, so it's that thinking in that way. I'm really good at, at, at being okay with putting the art side of myself to one side to make sure that I'm financially stable. It, I think artists are really, really good at that. We, we, I've got a mate who's a, He's a pretty well-known actor. You've you've all seen him on BBC. He's driving a tech, uh, a Tesco's fans at the moment to keep his head, you know, just just to pay the bills. But when but when all this is over, he'll stop driving the Tesco's van and he'll get back on, you know, back on you know Royal Shakespeare Company and back on the BBC and back on all of those things. So, so I think this is something that we're we, we're actually quite good at. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hats off to him taking on another role i suppose in, in in a way that sounds a bit um sounds a bit cheesy doesn't it well it's not even i mean it's just it, it's just common sense i think I, I think you 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 end up you know you ask what was my first job when i left when i left university i thought i was the bee's knees i knew my way around the door no i'd close read walter benjamin i could paint pictures i've stood on stages and done stuff but then I came to Germany and couldn't speak the damn language and ended up working in a copy shop, photocopying stuff with a degree, an honorary bachelor's degree, I'll have you know. Um, so I think that it, it's kind of, we kind of get... there's, there's a leveller, isn't it? It is a leveller and there is yeah. a tendency, particularly in the marketing and advertising business, to kind of get caught up in the in the nonsense of it oh all. god yeah you need those levelers you really do thank you for mentioning isolated talks but your your isolated talk hanging in there was quite rightly our record view counting overnight i mean in 24 hours i think it had well over a thousand fifteen hundred views it's a it's a brilliant brilliant donation and uh, i think or hope i've articulated that to you already it was it was wonderful but i suppose the um your other point that you made about live performances versus screen i've seen at first hand in fact if i use uh, Weimar schneider as an example I, I i've seen the same talk he donated donated i've seen him do that live and i've seen him do it on the site and by his own admission he said that loss of a live audience to kind of bounce off and riff off is so significant and when you take it away it's a huge part of, of presenting that's just gone and somehow you're kind of expected to, to carry on. You talk about the need to give 20% more of yourself as one of your tips to people delivering 
talks and, and you know presenters and keynote speakers but I wonder how do you do that how do you do that online how do you do that via a screen when you when you lose that stage well there were there were a couple of tricks the, the, the first trick is try and pre-record everything you do and just give that to uh, the event organizer the event organizer will love you for doing that because they know exactly how long the thing is that they're gonna that they're gonna get every video and that's why i say you know the, the, the speakery format is a mix of ted and casey neistan a video a speakery format lives breathes it, it thrives on the edit so you have to kind of develop a new set of skills to to figure out how that edit works a lot of people tell me that because I tell them one of the things they have to do is to rewatch everything they do. It's the only way you can get better. And they say, oh, I can't watch myself. I said, well, don't do it then. If you want to get better at this stuff, you have to watch what you do and you have to uh, adapt and um, change. Editing is all about watching yourself and chopping out the bits of shit, bringing in pace. I think it's fascinating that an industry such as the advertising and marketing industry, which where moving it pictures are kind of the core have always been seen as the, the, the king of the account is the TV ad, the 32nd spot on the telly. How appalling, how appalling. And I'm talking to you, strategic planners. You know who you are, William. <laughs> um, how I put? No, I'm only joking. I love William. He's he's such a he's a, such a dear boy. How appalling they are at actually doing it. So you have to kind of embrace the fact that you need to develop a new set of skills, and those set of skills can't be necess won't necessarily be found in the uh, the system settings um, of PowerPoint. You have to kind of figure out how to edit a video by any means whatever so that's the what that's the first thing so you can actually gain even if your performance is a little bit shabby you can gain five to five percent more extra just by getting the edit right but in terms of delivering something especially live uh you have to give the most embarrassing version of yourself that you are capable of giving because that is the version that the camera loves if you do the version which you're comfortable with, that is dull as hell because the camera just sucks all of the energy out of you. So you're constantly having to, you know, give it, 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 just watch the television, watch a Saturday night. I don't know what Saturday night television looks like in the UK anymore. I haven't seen it since 1993 where Noel Edmonds was big when I was in the UK. So uh, I don't know what it looks like, but, um, you know, you would watch, if you watch, um, what is it, Anton Deck? Is is that what they're called? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still knocking around. Yeah, but they're, they're, but if they do their thing, you know, they're doing... My favourite example, I love the guy who does the voice for Britain's Got Talent. Mm. You know that voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coming up now! That is the perfect example of... 21 percent now 21 percent is, is a little bit, is a yeah. little bit too much <laughs> so aim for just under that so if you can get to that and it's got a, a lot of this has got to do with preparation you have to practice you have to record yourself practicing you have to 
you have to do it in front of your partner, in front of your kids. Kids are great. If you've got young kids and you do the and you do your presentation, they go, Dad, it's boring. Then yeah, you know, the kids are though it's gonna be then it's gonna be boring for adults in your industry watching online. The production company responsible for the Teletubbies. They had a test. Uh, two friends of mine who are performance artists wrote some of the uh, episodes for uh, the follow the, the 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 show that came after Teletubbies, and they the screen testing for that was a very very simple thing. They put them in front. They, they put kids in front of the television and looked and watched how long they stayed engaged. And my friend Greg told me. We'd written this thing. They'd already produced it. The kid was watching and seemed engaged. And then a the fly came into the room and caught the kid's attention. And um, and then they kicked their episode off the show. So, you know, if you can present this kind of stuff, if you can do it in front of your kids and they remain engaged and say, yay, daddy, that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, then, yeah. then you're, you're, then you're pretty set up. But if they get up and, and, uh, or if they tell you to shut up, uh, then you know yeah, you, you can give it a little bit more. So it, it, it's it's really finding that embarrassing version of yourself that you can live with. That's a good gauge. It's a good gauge using the kids. I might have to try that tomorrow. I do it tomorrow, yeah. Get- I think it's one of those things that people find it awkward anyway. And, and, and as you say, it's, it's that's no excuse. You, you know, just don't do it. And you're absolutely right. I never really thought about it like that. But, you know, the king of the king of the, the, the account and the TV ads and everything. And so if there's any industry that should, you know, quite appropriately embrace the uh, presentation it it is ours you're right totally one of the big arguments that that i have at the moment with when i'm writing a writing virtual event formats for clients it's normally senior management always a man always a man i need 45 minutes so well you can't have 45 minutes because the show's 45 minutes long Okay, well, how long am I going to get? Well, you're the CEO, so you're going to get four. Well, I, I can't possibly... Four minutes? I said, well, okay, well, how many... Okay, so how long do you think you're going to need? Well, at least 20, 20 minutes. Okay, okay, well, the average episode of How I Met Your Mother was 22 minutes long. So you reckon that you can produce a, an episode of How I Met Your Mother? And that's how we start. So it's kind of introducing the concept that actually it, they don't need 45 minutes. They don't need 20 minutes. They're actually the perfect length for one of these things is about seven minutes. And even then you're pushing it. I mean, you'll know this from the Isolated Talks YouTube channel. You can see where the drop-off is. You can see how, how large a percentage drop-off after about two minutes and 30. And it's, and, and that's quite frightening for, that's one of the frightening things about YouTube. I started doing, I started playing around with YouTube properly uh, about three years ago, three or four years ago. And it becomes even more frightening when you start doing live streams, playing around with Twitch and YouTube live. It is, it, it's so frightening to see how quickly people drop off but it's invigorating because you have to try and figure out ways of keeping them on and a lot of that has got to do with programming 
creating sections and keeping, you know, keeping each section as short and as exciting as possible. Yeah. 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 That's the challenge, isn't it? And it is frightening. It's totally frightening to think that 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 drop off is so significant after what is seemingly such a short length of time. But then I suppose at the same time, you need to warrant keeping that person's attention. I mean, it's no different to, you know, to expecting your advertising to perform you have to earn that time. Well, I, I, one of the, the kind of, there are a, a couple of pillars which are really important to my speaker training stuff. One of them is you have to practice. I argue again, it's, it's always men. It's always senior management. It's always men. I'd, uh, well, I don't need to practice, Marcus. I've been doing this for, okay, we'll do it then. What would you mean? Well, go on, do it now. What do you mean, do it now? I said, well, obviously, well, you just said you can do it. So obviously you can do it whenever, so do it now. Well, I, I need a little bit of, oh, so you do need to practice. No, I don't need to practice. I just need to, you know, a little bit of head. Can I have two minutes? <laughs> so it's, it's, <laughs> so you, 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 you have to practice. And the other point is audience obsession, which I've obviously nicked from Amazon with their uh customer obsession but you have to be obsessed about the audience you have to be obsessed with trying to figure out what's best for them what do they really really want to see what do you want you know how are they what's the day been what if i'm doing a live thing and i've been put on at the end of the day which tends to happen to me because nobody wants to come after me you know they're tired they're knackered they probably want to go home so i you know my things are 17 the passing is always 17 minutes and 30 seconds long on the dot on the nail nailed it so everybody can go home if it's just if it's on just after lunch then you know they're a bit dopey so i have to give a little bit more energy if it's the first thing in the day then i'm gonna scare them shitless (laughs) so i have to be kind of like folk really really focused on 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 the audience when it's live in those kind of terms in terms of in terms of online uh, you know, I'm focusing on the kind of the key points of Zoom fatigue, which has just come out of the, the Stanford University uh, study. So, I'm, you know, the cognitive overload that we're all suffering from, that, that we're emotionally uh, exhausted, that we're the distance between our eyes is much closer. It's a very intimate experience, a, a video call, um, a video performance, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to do something which, and I think that's why hanging in there works so well is because I, I, I've been hanging in there worked because I was able to build it because I found that Stanford university study. Uh, If your listeners haven't seen hanging in there, it's basically me having a zoom call with myself and asking myself, well, you know, well, how am I doing? I'm hanging in there, but it's all about the looking at each other and and really looking at each other and really trying to understand what's going on during these very, very difficult times. So those are the, you know, the, the, the things that I think are really, really important when you're doing these kind of performances, regardless if it's in real life on a stage in a hybrid environment, you have to really be audience obsessed. And be mindful of that context, like you said, whether it's lunchtime or first thing or whether it's Zoom and you have to account for that Zoom fatigue. It's always the context. The, 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 again, the, well, that's the third column is context. So 
we've left the context of theater, which is, uh, you know, the peripheral vision stage, people sat next to you, the vibe, the energy of a real life event, the excitement of free coffee and a lanyard. And, um, <laughs> so uh, now we've entered the, the realm of telly and screens. Uh, and people expect certain things from telly and screens. They expect pace and lower thirds and pre-recorded stuff and back to the studio. And let's go over there and see what's going on over there. Can you hear me? I can hear you. So all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's what you need to build into virtual events. It's what you need to build. What I'm trying to find ways of building it into my performances uh, for the new stuff and also for speakery format. So you can play with those things. The virtual format has given, actually gives the speaker a, a, a bigger set of tools that they can use. They can do more interesting, actually do more interesting things than just than what they were doing on the, doing on the stage. Before we jump into um, our listener questions, I do want to quickly big you up for something else. You mentioned it's always a man a couple of times, and uh, I enjoyed your speaking terms and conditions a couple of weeks ago because a mutual friend, Vicky Ross, shared it on on LinkedIn, your scorecard for speaking at conferences. Mm. Um, and they are, broadly speaking, number one, there must be at least one woman on stage. You expect to be paid. And that's um, it. And yeah the end yeah that's it yeah that's it but you'll consider waiving your fee if they can guarantee 50 percent diversity i mean firstly it's a shame that that even has to exist but secondly good on you for having it it's wonderful i generally surprised that people kind of vicky vicky shared that and and it, and and it seemed to generate quite a lot of love and interest and you're right it's a shame that it needs to exist I shared it again yesterday with a, somebody asked me if I would do a thing very politely said, um, I'm sorry, obviously, obviously, I think obviously we can't, we can't pay our speakers, <laughs> obviously, but you will get, you will get a lot of, a, a lot of exposure. And this is, I have no idea how often Obviously, well, well, I'm pretty sure you do have an idea how often um, I get to hear that. So I had to share the terms and conditions again with him and said, um, as you will see, I only have two terms and conditions, and one of which is that I I expect to get paid. And uh, he wrote back and, and said, um, thank you for that. They are generally good, and I will try my best to meet the 50% rule and then I'll get back to you when I've done it. So it almost feels awkward that I'm being bigged up for it. I just wished people, I just wish they didn't need to be there to, to be honest. I, it's so, it's just, they, that for me, it's just common sense guys. I don't want to stand on stage with blokes. I just don't because we, we haven't really, if we're honest, if we're generally honest, we don't have the interesting stuff to say. We certainly don't have anything new to say. I've pretty much heard everything that any white bloke, white straight bloke has got to say about anything. <laughs> yeah. So I'd quite like to hear something else for a change. Well said, beautifully put, beautifully put. 
Right, well, let's do our let's do our listener questions then, uh, Marcus, if I may. So, asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. Uh, so we have two, starting with Kim. Kim asks or says, I listened to your podcast episode with Ian Pritchard, who describes you as an ideas machine. What are your perfect conditions to come up with creative ideas? Oh, heavens. I think the best ideas, I, I have my best ideas when I'm walking along the river here in Munich or up in the mountains with my wife where we're hiking or in the highlands or in the pub or in the toilet. The shower's quite good as well. There's this famous book from Webb about how to have ideas. It's a, it's a, I think he was a copywriter from the forties or something. And I'm always interested that there are like phases of having ideas. The phase I love the most is the bit where I walk away from trying to have the idea. So I think he calls it the incubation phase. And the idea generally then comes when I'm doing something else. So trying to be doing other, anything other than trying to have an idea is probably the best place to be. So long walks, um, swimming, getting drunk, doing nothing, being bored. Those those kind of things, those kind of places are really great to, to have ideas. Being bored is so underrated. Oh, God, yeah, I love being bored. <laughs> when I'm being bored, it's like, oh, no, I really need, because oh, I really need to do something exciting. There's this... The, the the world in which we live, because we're all constantly seeing everybody putting their best put, foot forward on things like Instagram, is that you have this thing that everything has to always be exciting. I love being bored. It's just the best. It is <laughs> seriously the best. The the whole work, the actual doing bit of having ideas is is the research, is the work, is learning something new every day, is listening to you know, listening to stuff, reading stuff, watching films, um, reading research, um, doing, you know, doing the, doing the graft, doing the work, actually doing the work. But doing the ideas comes when you're desperately not trying to do the ideas. It's when you're bored, it's when you're sat on the loo having a poo. <laughs> um, that's, that's, that's where the ideas come from somewhere just behind your left buttock creep <laughs> creep the way up your spine and, and knock on your brain and say what about what about becoming a business magician oh i've never thought about that well, let's do that so it's kind of so those that's where that's where ideas come from I'm, I'm so tempted to edit that so Kim only gets that last snippet is her answer. <laughs> and so number two is from, from Leanne. So Leanne, Leanne's fishing. So she says, uh, do you have any exciting projects in the future that you can tell us about? Well, there's a wicked pack of cards, obviously. Yes. Yes and no. <laughs> so, um, yes, uh, I finally think I finally worked out what to do with a wicked pack of cards. Um, it won't be called a wicker pack of cards, but what it will be called, and I can't tell you right now, 
but I will be able to reveal that within the next uh, couple of days. It's been booked. It has a name. It will be a thing and it will be awesome. Awesome. That's all we need. Yeah. Next question. Cool. Okay, well, the final part then um, is our four pertinent poses then. Hang so on a minute. Is that it? Two two questions. Two, two, two listeners' questions. There must be a third one. We've got, we've got some listener monkeys. I was talking to Vicky about this earlier. We've got some listener monkeys. I shouldn't call them that. Um, who are the hardcore call-to-action listener crew um, who we send. And they do. we do get quite a few back, but we always limit them to two. But that's only because I'm about to hit you with four more. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Usual questions. Call-to-action, usual questions. What advice would you give to your younger self, Marcus? Calm the fuck down. <laughs> uh, number two, if you could banish one thing from the industry, what would it be and why? So you can pick an industry for that one, but I imagine you've a few in marketing to kill. Um, I'd banish myself because I, I just wasn't good enough. Fine. I wasn't expecting that. Number three, any books that you would recommend? I was going to say in addition to a wicked pack of cards, but who knows what that will be called or what format that will take. But if you've any other books you can recommend, that would be ace. Um, anything that Mark Ells has written, anything that Ian Pritchard has written, and anything that Vicky Ross is going to write in the future. Amazing. Oh, and that, and, oh, and that thing from Dr. Draper. What's it called? <laughs> thing. Delusions of Brandier. Rubbish. <laughs> it's overrated isn't it very um, it's lots of, you know, mate it's just bells and whistles draper if you're listening to this bells and whistles mate <laughs> you've been knuckling at the hustle juice my friend you need to you need to calm down he never listens he never listens <laughs> Well, number four then, Mark, is this, we always like to dedicate our episode. So would you kindly dedicate this episode? Uh, I thought long and hard about this. I thought about doing something really, really clever. But um, I'm. Um, but there's only really one person I can dedicate this to, and it is the woman who sat in the living room waiting for me probably to come and open another bottle of wine, and that's my wife. I know it sounds a bit naff, but can you imagine what it's like living with somebody like me? Oh, it's, my a night- God. it's a nightmare. She's probably opened that it's second bottle already. It's an absolute nightmare. I'll give you a couple of examples why my wife, Bernadette, Bernie, is an absolute hero. So I'll be, w- she'll be talking at me, <laughs> at me. <laughs> she'll be should be trying to get something like really important into my head, something about mortgage or something, something like really, really, really important. <laughs> and I'm thinking about, oh, there are nothing on the cards. <laughs> <laughs> Joseph's cards are blank. <laughs> or I'll wake up in a start in the middle of the night and she'll go, what's the matter? I say, this is, a, this is a true story. This actually happened a couple of years ago. I wake up in the middle of the night, scare the her witless. And she said, what's the matter? What's the matter? What's the matter? And I say, darling, I'll be 60 in 12 years. (laughs) (laughs) So I couldn't do, I generally couldn't do anything that I do now or have done without her. She has completely, completely supported everything I've done gets excited by it 
is critical when it, when she needs to. Marcus, that wasn't very good. She might say she. It's not like uh, it, it, Marcus. That wasn't very good. So I'll get that. It'll get. Oh, Marcus, that was really good. I was very very proud. I'll, I'll get all of those things. I test everything on Bernie. When I showed her, um, when I showed her uh, um, hanging in there, she cried, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to send it to Giles." When I showed her the passing, she got spooked, and and I said, "Okay, I can take this and put it on a stage." So she is um, literally. Uh, if you've ever read, I'm not choking up. I'm just trying not to burp because I've just had a massive gulp of fizzy water. But if you've read the if you've read a wicked a wicked pack of cards, card thirteen is about Bernie, and if you read that, then you'll understand why this episode of Call to Action. You see what I'm doing here, Charles? Yeah, carry on, do it all. Is dedicated to Bernadette Brown. Amazing. Well, she sounds ace. Yeah, she's not bad she- actually, and she's fit. <laughs> <laughs> And she's, it's great because I've got all my mates are going, how do you do that? <laughs> so I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> my, my first, my first, the guy who got me into advertising, uh, who hired me at, at um, APL, Richard, a, a, a dear boy, a dear gentleman. He's old as hell now, old as the hills. Richard, if you listen to this, you old bugger. <laughs> He was the first one to kind of, how did you do that? How did, she's really pretty. How did you manage that? <laughs> so, because she's smart as well. Anyway, so was that any good? That was amazing. That was brilliant. Bernie sounds ace. We'll get her on next, I think. So as a as the final call to action then for listeners, if you check out the episode uh, listings, we'll have links to everything discussed uh, but if that's not enough how do people get more marcus john henry brown it's one of the advantages of having a name like marcus john henry brown <laughs> just google it for heaven's sake what's the matter with you yeah just google it <laughs> just google it just google it well um thank you so much for joining us mate it's been it's been a real pleasure wonderful thank you for having me Thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pod. Keep questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. You can check out CTA pod on Instagram or email hello at calltoaction.co. Yeah!